welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. On today's episode of the Intuitive Insights podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Nazia Khan, MBE. Nazir is a principal at HKA, where he leads procurement advisory claims, dispute avoidance management and resolution. That's a long list. He's an engineer, he's a chartered QS, he's chartered procurement and legally qualified. And on top of all of that, he's the co-founder and acts as executive director of Muslims in Rail, which is a social enterprise that aims to connect, grow and inspire Muslims working or seeking work in the rail industry. Nazir is quite honestly one of the most interesting people that I've ever had the privilege to meet and I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Nazir Khan, MBE. It's an absolute joy and a pleasure to welcome you onto the Intuitive Insights podcast. Good morning, Nina. I'm really pleased to be here and having the opportunity to speak on your platform. Thank you. And as we're recording this during the month of Ramadan, then um, can I also wish you Ramadan Kareem? Ramadan Kareem to you too. Thank you. So for the benefit of my um, podcast audience who who may um, already know you or, or may have not come across you before, I'd like to introduce you properly. So Nasir Khan, MBE, co-founder of Muslims in Rail and principal at HKA, where you help clients in avoiding and resolving their disputes, um, the MBE for services to equality, diversity and inclusion, I believe. Absolutely. And specifically in the rail sector infrastructure as well. And uh, it was a privilege when I received the letter, I had to pinch myself. And um, it was just before COVID had begun. So I had to keep it a secret for almost 11 months. Oh, my goodness. Because the ceremony, which was supposed to be in June, was then cancelled in 2020. And you can imagine you, you, you're then not allowed to talk to anyone or disclose it. It's, 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 it was really a privilege. Yes. Yeah. And who, who presented the MBA to you? Um, Her Royal Highness Princess Anne. How wonderful. At Windsor Castle. How wonderful. And you, you would not believe how informative she is about the rail industry, mm. about the issues of equality, diversity and inclusion. And, I had almost five minutes chat with her. Really? Wow. First question was, how inclusive is the rail industry? How and my response was, it's getting better and people have recognized it. Mm. I think I am a prime example of being here mm. that people understand how important it is. Her last question was, I'm not going to go through the whole st- story. Her last question was, if there was one thing you would do to improve equality, diversity, and inclusion, what would you do? Mm. And it was very much an instinctive answer from myself, mm. which was unconscious bias. Okay. And people people need to be aware. I said, I have unconscious bias. Mm. Everyone has that. unconscious yeah. Whether it's affinity bias, whether it's reassurance bias or whatever it is, mm. 
you you all have that it's the recognition and self awareness yeah you know that is the one thing because people have been recruiting in their own image i said i can start and recruit in my own image that's not helping equality diversity and inclusion you know that's yeah. the last thing you want to do but being aware of your unconscious biases would help yes yeah i completely agree and that's a whole a huge subject actually which i'd love to explore with you at some point but perhaps not today perhaps we'll come back to it in our discussion later but in in kind of the in the um tradition of the intuitive insights podcast i would like to take you right back so i've had the privilege of of conversations with you over the last um i don't know gosh 12 months or so where you've shared your story with me your personal story which kind of becomes a career story but it's so much more than that and which was why i really wanted you to join me as my guest on the podcast because i think it's such an interesting story and an inspiring one so can i ask you to go back in time this year please and and share with us your story from kind of back in the day what you chose to do as a career how you got there and all the way through to today in the role that you do with HKA thank you for asking i think um being born in a in a, in a family uh, as the youngest child uh, my three siblings were very intellectual they all went to universities um so there was a, a kind of passage by your pathway right you're going to do something as well and um we're kind of stamped um this is back in the 80s you're going to be an engineer you're going to be a doctor right. and um uh my my brother joined the navy uh he is older than me so i was then the only one left at home uh from that perspective so i started my career as an engineer and uh uh worked uh, within the engineering sector and that was my first i would say privilege and insight into equality diversity and inclusion mm. really early on in my career because i was working for an international organization it was a canadian organization founded by alexander graham bell and uh, there were a lot of expats from canada from america from england mm. who were working there and um it was interesting to get their perspective because they were the minority in that section mm. so so that's why i said that i had a very early on interaction how they perceived behaved or interacted with people uh, and it was a very very uh, interesting experience from from a learning perspective and uh, being um, a very ambitious young person i climbed up the ladder quite quickly uh within the organization and um from there uh, the idea came that you know if i wanted to sustain or maintain those positions i was asked that i needed to have a master's degree and that was when i came to england uh and uh, completed my masters and once i completed my masters i was very fortunate after applying for just over 1200 jobs uh, that i <laughs> received you know three interviews i think i i, I mentioned to you how you interesting did. it was um and i still have that list of every single organization that i applied for uh at that time and um it was interesting 
to see why I was not being able to be selected for an interview. All I was yeah. trying to get was get me an interview and I'll, you know, secure the position. And that's what yeah. happened. Um, finally received three interviews and um, joined Lang O'Rourke, uh, global construction business. Yeah. Uh, and the reason of joining them was a very specific reason out of the three organizations. And it was very much because of their investment in younger talent right? and how they helped develop people if they wanted to. Mm. And uh, as, as you are aware, personal development comes from your own inspiration as well as from your employers. It's a partnership. Mm. Uh, nobody can force you to develop and you need help. If somebody says, I don't need anyone's help to develop is, I think, uh, a bit irresponsible to say. Yeah. So, so it was, it was wonderful seven years there, uh, during which time I gained, uh, further qualifications, et cetera. And, um, 2012, I joined Network Rail. I can say that I was involved in the rail sector before that as well. But, uh, once you join the, the, let's say the proper railway family. Yeah. So I joined uh, Network Rail in 2012 and um, had amazing seven years there. Uh, learned so many different things, um, enjoyed my time and um, left Network Rail to, again, for my personal development perspective as well, mm -hmm. because I had worked for over 10 years with contractors. So I thought, OK, I've done seven years with client. I need to now complete my triangle and go into a bit of more consultancy element. Okay. Um, during all of this time, I did three masters and two undergrads, uh, gained fellowships of four different institutions, became a mediator and arbitrator and, uh, continued my personal professional development. At the same time, continued working for improving equality, diversity, inclusion, because that was something I recognized in the first week of my employment. Okay. With Lang O'Rourke, always network. Yes. Yeah, with Lang O'Rourke. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, 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 going, going back right to back. the beginning. Um, so, where I saw a different perspective and story when I was in Pakistan, mm. uh, working with expats, how reasonable adjustments had to be made for them to be able to do what they wanted to do, mm. and it was quite interesting to see. And when I came here. It was a different perspective. Over in Pakistan, we would ask people what they wanted. I mean, it's part of the culture as well. Yeah. And uh, it's just, you know, because everybody from outside of the country would be treated as guests and guests are, you know, a blessing yeah. uh, regardless of where they come from. So it was very much reasonable adjustments and those type of things came naturally mm. uh, to, to help you know, um, such colleagues accordingly. When I came to the UK, it wasn't that natural. Okay. So you had to inform what you need yeah. or what you want. Mm. Um, I, I gave you an example earlier and I would like to mention it here. For example, in Pakistan, Friday prayers, offices just close. You go to your Friday mosque for congregational prayer, prayer and you come back takes about 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Yeah. It was never um, a thing that you have to make 
special arrangements for that or things like that. And then when I was in my master's in university, Friday was the day off. So never felt that I had to miss a lecture or anything else. It just, you know, was happening. So, so didn't feel it at that time. But when I started work and in my first week, there was a meeting at one o'clock on a Friday. Um, and, and that was when I said, I'm not attending the meeting. I've got to go. And everybody just looked at me like I'm an alien. What am I talking about? You know, the, 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 this is a team meeting that the PMD will be there. Bosses will be there. Everybody will be there. I said, I'm not attending. And, uh, it was like, just people just couldn't understand what was going on through my head. I, came of course from a different brought up and things like that it came very natural to me mm. I'm not doing it was my simple answer and uh, we 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 interestingly spoke about it and then I explained look do you see me going into that meeting room quite a few times because it was winter when I started January right so I was like hey, I said because I do five times prayers oh why do you do five times prayers and it was because I was in my own say bubble, even within the university environment as well, didn't have mm. as much conversations where people where I would have to explain why I'm going five times. And where I went there, I found some of these people haven't had the necessary interaction with other cultures, yeah. other faiths, mm. or the acknowledgement of the needs, or maybe the people that they met uh, were not practicing it in front of them or t- they were just not aware. So so this started into very interesting conversations. And, and this is where I think where I heard this for the first time in England, that football, religion and politics should not be discovered in the workplace yeah. or discussed. Yeah. I found it absolutely appalling. Mm. How how do I get to know you? What what are your likes, dislikes? If we are a high performing, high functioning team, mm. we need to know each other. We need to trust each other. Yeah. You know, how do we get to know each other on a personal basis? If we have to trust each other, you know, if you're working in a team of seven or eight and you don't know what their likes or dislikes are, how they are at a personal level as mm. well. I think maybe it was difference in generation at the time. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying. I think there's um there's a, almost an automatic assumption that those those three areas the the football, the religion, and the politics there's an automatic assumption in previous generations that we're not going to agree on this. So um, there's a there's an expression, isn't there? Least said, soonest mended. So let's not talk about it. Let's pretend that 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 those subject areas don't exist, and we'll all just carry on as we were without any risk of confrontation, rather than turning that on on its head and saying there's all of this this risk, if you like, of education and knowledge and speaking to interesting people about stuff that's different to my own experience, and that kind of just like let's not talk about it to where I would love us to get to, which is, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, let's share. Absolutely. I think, I think this is where, I mean, back in those days, 
I started thinking about the difference of a debate and a dialogue. Mm. And, 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 and I get it from where you're coming from. If you're having a debate, you will have a winner or a loser. Yes. Because that's where those, you know, politics, religion and uh, sports, you, you, you may agree to disagree, but it's a debate. But this is where we need to have dialogue. Yeah. Because a dialogue is when you are making each other aware, you're improving each other's, you know, follicles in the mind, you're, yeah. you're improving understanding. And that's why dialogue is important. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's kind of where, you know, very early on in my career, um, because we, we, even in Pakistan, I mean, some people said, Oh, which team do you support? I was like, okay, I support, you know, sorry to some listeners that support Manchester United. And they were like, why do you support Manchester? You don't even live in Manchester. I said, it's a global team. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, can, how can you say? I mean, you, you can, so I, I asked them, what's the team do you support? Oh, I support Liverpool. But you're not from Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why do you support them? Uh, oh, okay. So it's, it's yeah. very interesting to have those dialogues, I think. And, yes. and, yes. um, yeah. even when we were in Pakistan, I know when the Premier League games were on, um, because of, you know, uh, whatever time difference or Champions League games were on Monday, the first discussions, uh, at tea or coffee morning was always who won over the weekend. Right. So, so we were very used to it. I mean, Premier League is watched globally. I mean, if we just talk about football, of course, yeah. so anybody, you know, coming from anywhere else to the UK, um, if they are a, you know, fan of sports, they would know, you know, what's happening and, and things like that. And I, I find it, you know, sometimes sports, regardless of whatever it is, is, is an icebreaker sometimes mm-hmm. or politics is an icebreaker sometimes or religion is an icebreaker sometimes because yeah. at least these three elements if you're not a fan of sports you may be a fan of politics or you mm-hmm. may be a fan of religion or not a fan of religion could be either yeah. case either yeah. way but at least it it is an icebreaker because it just starts and gets us talking and when Absolutely. we get to know each other i think uh, this is something I do a lot in, in my claims work as well. Repo building is the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. 80% of the battle is won when you build a good repo. Yeah. And that's that word again, I think, for me that you've that you've just mentioned that's so important. It's that dialogue. It's that being able to have a conversation. And it's whether that's between two people or a larger group that is a positive conversation where we're not looking for a winner and we're not looking for a loser. We're looking for the best outcome for everybody, whether that's in the kind of the, the dispute resolution world that that you work in or whether that's just in a normal conversation that may take part between two people who've met for the first time and have got some differences as well as some commonalities and the commonality being we're all human beings we've all got a story and we've all got something reasonably interesting to share and some some more so than others I guess but um so so seven seven years at Lango Rourke seven years at, at Network Rail before then moving into the consultancy field um, so I'm interested to kind of understand from Network Rail then what, what came next. And, um, and so over that period, have you what difference have you noticed, if any, in relation to that initial kind of, well, nobody's 
nobody's treating me as a guest nobody's asking what reasonable adjustments i need have you noticed any difference so, so continue absolutely. story absolutely a huge difference i mean uh, back in even at lago rogue back in 2009 a couple of years in they were making a state of the art facility in steeply and uh, I, I received a phone call as part of the team there that, oh, we're putting in a multi-faith room in the factory. Right. I mean, that was, you know, a success there. Yeah. And um, when I joined Network Rail, I still remember um, Mark was one of the, the, the directors who was um, showing me around the quadrant, the head office. And he was so excited to to just showcase, oh, and you would love this room. We have a multi-faith room. Um, as soon as we walked into the room, he was himself a little bit, oh, is that it? Because it was a six foot, I think, a two meter by three meter room, yeah. uh, potentially a very, very small box room. And um, that was a start of yeah. making a lot of changes mm. at Network Rail uh, to improve awareness within facilities. And that was my role. I was looking after building civil and property. Yeah. So facilities was under the remit. So I had a lot of discussions with the facilities people, right? What's our makeup of different employees mm. within different offices? What are their needs? And Network Rail was launching its networks at the time to improve equality, diversity, and inclusion. That's right. part of its yeah. um, uh, everyone strategy, uh, which was launched by Lorraine Martins. And it made an enormous amount of difference in the organization, not just in network rail, across the rail industry, I would say, from a people awareness perspective. Uh, and, and this is kind of where the thought of Muslims in rail started to come in. Right. Because I thought with my co-founders, Hassan Ahmed, who works at Arcades, and Abdul Vadud, who has now gone into the education sector, leaving Grail. Um, we thought, is our influence limited if we are just looking after Network Grail? Yeah. How do we make our influence bigger? And that was the foundation of Muslims in Rail. And it started with very much, if you don't know, you don't know. So how do we speak to people, make them aware of these different needs and requirements. So for example, a lot of people have chosen not to work in the city or in such sectors because of their obligatory prayers, requirements, fasting and everything else. Yeah. They've decided to go into different sectors. So one of the things we thought we would go and ask people, why are you not working in the rail industry? Mm. They simply weren't aware of what is the rail industry i can't drive a train for four hours hey we're yeah. not just train drivers exactly i mean i would love to be one but <laughs> we're, we're, we're not there I, no. I don't think anybody would trust a train to me anyway <laughs> <laughs> so so it's it's about those awareness and we were all very enthusiastic about stem mm. science technical engineering uh, subject uh, having an engineering background, it was kind of very natural for me to, you know, interact uh, in such um, environment, um, especially then later on, as you know, I moved into more commercial contracts and claims type roles yeah. uh, where yeah. you kind of embed all of this together. 
And it became apparent that all of the volunteering was happening in very similar spaces. Right. Okay. And um, I was thinking more of, okay, why are we not going to a council state school? Um, so I, at that time, I moved to Milton Keynes, uh, where Network Rail head office was. And I knew certain areas uh, where we would like to have gone to. Uh, and STEM, it just happened that such volunteering was just not happening in those areas of those schools and places. Right. Okay. So we started to just go into those voluntarily and started having those discussions and things. And um, I think I, I mentioned to you from my son's perspective, one day he came back from school and told me, I want to be a policeman. Yeah. And this is back in 2015. And uh, it intrigued. Why do you want to be a policeman? And that he was so excited. He said we had a sergeant at school. He told us all how he keeps the community safe, mm -hmm. how we can sleep at night, how they keep crimes at bay, how they, you know, make sure everybody is safe. Mm -hmm. I want to be that. Yeah. And it was that excitement. And 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 we came back and just discussed it amongst ourselves. How many of us? actually go in as role models and explain the rail industry or infrastructure or construction mm. enthusiastically. Yeah. And not you, many of us do. Absolutely won't hear any argument from me on this. I'm consistently banging a drum around we need to have much more engagement and actually much earlier as well. Yes. You know, yes, we we represented the rail industry is represented at careers fairs. But that's too late. We need yeah. to be engaging and infusing at the much younger age and talking about the impact that the railway has on everybody's lives, whether or not as a you are, you're actually a passenger, you will still be receiving goods that have travelled by train from the port to the distribution that's depot. You know, it touches everybody's lives, but we don't talk about this. And we there's this far too little engagement at the early years stage. Although there's there is great work happening. I'd just like to see more of it. Absolutely. And we then kind of targeted the primary schools. Right. Because that's where you need to enthuse people with their math subjects. Because if yeah. they are weak in primary school, secondary, they wouldn't like it. Yeah. Uh, and when, you know, the time for GCSE and your electives and those type of things come in, they'll try and avoid it at all costs because the foundation, that's why it's called foundation years, mm. primary school. Because the, and, and again, I'm sorry, I'm a civil engineer, so I have to give a foundation example. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you have to have a strong foundation before you can start building it up. Yeah, and 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 I think um, the creative element of arts, you know, humanities subject, yeah, is as important as science. Mm. You need to have a balance in your foundations, and 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 that's what most primary schools do. But yeah. again, this is something we need to enthuse people into doing. And one of the things, you know, when Muslims in Rail at that time was being launched and started. We were looking at our community's main issue as a right. whole. Right. There were so many researches out there of the lack of inclusion, mm -hmm. the lack of understanding, uh, equality, diversity, and inclusion issues at policy levels. 
Yeah. Because what people said is, oh, we have an equal opportunity policy. Like, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so what, what are you achieving with that? Um, we are achieving equal opportunity. We're very inclusive. We are anti-racist. Okay. That's interesting. So, so we then started investigating a couple of things that I, I want to really give you some examples on that. Please. One of the key examples is for apprentices applications or things like that. I've come across checklist. Oh, have you done any volunteering? Um, okay. Uh, take, right. You go to the next step. No take. You're off. Mm. And I, started to look at it and gave my own example i i started work when i was 14 yeah and um, the reason for that was uh because you know you have your desires and your wants as a mm. kid and your parents have limitation uh in their income and things like that i come from social mobility and i probably say that mm. So I started working at 14. So if I wanted, you know, those specific trainers, I can go on and yeah. buy those. Yeah. Uh, or if I wanted to go and watch a cricket match at a stadium, I can go on and afford that. And and that was my reason of started, uh, you know, at, at an early age. And I compare it to people around here in the UK as well, who come from social mobility. Volunteering is the last thing you want to do. Yeah. Because you've got to put food on the table and mm. you've got to make ends meet. Mm. So what you're doing with such inferences is making a further divide. Yeah. Then it is not an equal opportunity. Yeah. And this is where I love equal opportunity, but sometimes equal opportunity doesn't work and we yeah. need to pick and choose. I think one of the challenges there as well is that having an equal opportunities policy as in we've got a document that is stored on the, you know, company intranet or whatever, is a, so we've done it then. So, yeah. well, well, no, actually. So for me, it's exploring the behaviours that sit underneath that. And the equal opportunities policy is the least you should be doing. So that's yeah. that has to be there. That's a requirement that that's there. Yeah. But what, what I'd love to know, Nasir, from your perspective, is some of the um some of the good things that you've seen over the last few years in relation to that inclusive leadership and inclusivity generally. What are some of the things that you're seeing that are changing in the rail industry that are for the better? And there's a long way to go, but what changes have you seen? I'll I'll, I'll give a not just the rail industry, a generic example. I think we've nine protected characteristics. We focused significantly on gender equality. Yeah. We focused significantly on gender pay gap. And Network Rail, for example, is a prime example who's now looking beyond that mm. and looking at not just gender pay gap, looking at ethnicity pay gap. I think yeah. they are one of the prime ones to have to be able to notice it. I'll give yeah. you a simple example. 1997 gender pay gap was 27 percent mm. 2022 it's 12 percent yeah that's a massive massive change Huge. however it's very different for younger women and older women okay mm. uh, from a, from an age demographics perspective younger women still have a massive gender pay gap right 
Okay, and this is again statistics available on on the official uh, ONS uh, website. Yeah. However, 2022 statistics on ethnicity pay gap is 27.5 percent. Right. So the problem is we have focused on an area, brilliant, yeah. but when it's a protected characteristic mm. and we talk about equal opportunity, I think we need to discuss all of these things equally. Yeah. What, 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 what I feel that the industry is doing is absolutely fantastic on, 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 on gender, sexual orientation. Um, and now we need to look at ethnicity equality mm. as well i discuss with a number of senior leaders and they say oh we are very diverse in our organization i'm like absolutely brilliant you are diverse in your organization can you tell me how diverse is your boardroom how diverse is your senior management yeah okay how diverse is your directors mm. how diverse is you know your supervisory element if you have got all of the you know where you are saying you know your ethnic minorities and things at the base level, at the base grades, mm. we have a problem. Yeah, and and these are some of the discussions that I've had um, recently with quite a number of people who are actually asking, right? So what do we need to do? Yeah, how do we improve it? And again, it's a journey. Mm. The first step is having recognition that I have a problem. Yeah, because. My boardroom, which is making all these decisions, is not representative of a number of people who are, you know, at the base level of an organization. Yeah. And having that recognition is the first step. But then second thing I always say is, what are we enthusing them with? How are we supporting their development? Do they have, you know, mentors who can guide and support, right? This is what you need to do for your career progression. Mm. I meet a number of people who, over the last five or six years, I've had several conversations with a number of people who've kind of given up mm. in terms of not applying for promotion. I'm just going to stay here. I've tried it five or six times. I never get promoted into a different position. Mm. I think I'll just retire into this post now. And we've kind of sucked the energy or enthusiasm out of such people. Yeah, and and I I see more and more of that. Do you see with the, just to kind of go back to the recognition element from your perspective over the last I don't know shall we choose five years? It yes. has that increased? Has that recognition increased, or is there far, have we got still far too many kind of well? There's no problem here because you know we've we've got an equal opportunities policy, so therefore everything's great. Or are you finding that more people are engaging with you to ask you these questions that that I'm saying to you now? It's kind of what. So what do we need to do? If in a if, if I could say to you, there were three things that we need to do as an industry, which would help uh, not solve the issue, but would help move us along that journey at a quicker pace. Because yes, that you know the gender piece has definitely improved, but that's taken a very long time. It's not happened overnight. We don't want to no. wait that long, do we, for the no. other areas that we need to get better at in terms of underrepresented communities? What would be three things that, as a leader of an organisation in the transport industry or actually anywhere, 
what would be the three things that you would advise leaders to be doing? Number one is having recognition of the makeup of the communities we serve. Yeah. Having almost close to equal representation in our organization at all levels has to be the priority. Yeah. Second thing, we need to look at all protected characteristics, not just, you know, we can choose to tick in the box because yeah. If you're thinking of it as a tick in the box, we already have massive skills shortage in this country. Mm. Um, the immigration policies, as you know, um, uh, are challenging. So it's very, very difficult to fulfill and secure a significant number of key and important roles yeah. for, 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 for major organizations. The third thing is very much is the first thing that I mentioned about to you, having that unconscious bias removed from the system. Mm. The system may have these hidden things that we are unaware of. Um, and uh, having having to record a one-minute video interview to be able to send someone, I I don't know what is being observed in that one minute video interview because in that one minute mm. what, what are you looking at if you are looking at oh we've got somebody who thinks out of the box is very confident is is very much you know uh thought-provoking brilliant tick in the box but what mm. if somebody was on the autism spectrum disorder yeah. and they are shy to look at the the camera and they are looking down while talking and and they are a bit hesitant, but they are absolutely brilliant data analytic yeah. or mathematician or scientist or whatever they are or, or, or legal profession mm. who knows case law, the back of their head from everything from the, you know, 18th century to date. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, this is where I think, and this is where you come in and help. Mm. I think to, to, to make that massive change in terms of how recruitments are done. Yeah. You know, how you can make that impression into people that look, you 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 are saying you are aware of this, but what are you doing about it? I, I always give the football coach example. I have three kids on autism spectrum in my football team. I, I am a football coach. Yeah. And if I just give verbal instruction, I've done equal opportunity. Mm. I know those three don't understand verbal instruction. Yeah. So I have to go and tell them one by one. Mm. And then those three, for some reason, perform better than the nine. Yeah. It's but a, if I was just giving verbal instruction, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And that's and I, the recognition needed. Exactly. So it's that word again, isn't it? It's the recognition that we we have. There are so many different people that can contribute to the success, the performance of an organisation, of a community, of a society, and to reach a point where we can actually recognise those differences and celebrate those differences and feel like we are richer because of them. Um, and I can't say all of that without saying again a huge thank you to Muslims in Rail for the um, Discover um, Ramadan. Say course, but we we went along to the um, Krishna Mosque in Cheatham Hill in Manchester last Monday, yeah. 
The feeling of community at that event was amazing. The learning that I got, the education that I got in a very welcoming, very warm environment was significant. So there was an investment of, I don't know, you know, a couple of hours from my perspective to go and be welcomed and to be educated and to be inspired was was phenomenal. So those kind of things, those kind of events where we're being encouraged to learn about difference, celebrate difference, and then, you know, kind of actually find out that we're not that different after all. There's just a few things that that we may do in our day, our week, our month that is not the same. Um, I could I could honestly talk to you for hours on this subject and we have talked for hours in the past and I'm sure we'll go on to do so again. Um, But in terms of we need to bring this conversation um, to a close in terms of anything you'd like to leave with um, with our audience in relation to one small step that we might be able to do to um, to be better allies, to be um, to, to to help, to inspire, to connect, to grow. What would you like to see, Nasir? I think um, there is a Thomas Jefferson statement about uh, this. Um, I don't remember it ex- exactly, but I think what he said is very much to do something is the best thing. Okay. Yeah. And to to just think about is 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 okay but to do nothing is the worst thing that you can do yeah you know so so at least think about it if you can't do anything but please do something about it and and that is what i would like all of our leaders all of our organizations all of our recruiting teams and even people on all sides of different protected characteristics to understand there is no bias approaching into anything it's about understanding those biases and then removing them Mm. from our perspective whether they are conscious or unconscious we may have but we all do it's about understanding those and then doing something about it yeah thank you i'd i think from all this from this conversation we've had this morning what i what my mind keeps going back to is your comment around being treated as a guest So having someone in your organization, how can I make you feel more comfortable? How can I make this a more positive experience for you? And that does require some thought and it does require us to do something different. That recognition in the first place is key. Um, Nasir Khan, MBE, my huge, huge thanks to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, as I always do. Um, Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nina. I'm really glad and pleased to be able to, you know, share some of my experiences. Thank you for the opportunity. Much appreciated. Thank you. My huge thanks to Nazir for joining me on this episode of the Intuitive Insights podcast. Please do subscribe to our series of podcasts if you're interested in listening to fascinating conversations from leaders in the transport industry. I'd love you to join us for the next episode coming soon.